Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Allow me to offer my thanks to the Lord for these people who have led us in worship through song. As the last song was sung, I thought of Psalm 73:25, which says, Whom do I have in heaven besides you? And there's nothing I desire on earth but you. That is the heart of the person who loves and knows the Lord. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Romans, the 14th chapter. And we're going to spend our time primarily in this great book we know as Romans. Before I do that, I would like to make mention of the fact that a week from today, the long-awaited season four of The Crown will be aired on Netflix. We know there will be a couple of new characters introduced, Princess Di and the Iron Lady Margaret Thatcher, the great Prime Minister of Great Britain. But as in the other three seasons, the central figure will be none other than Queen Elizabeth II. And what we know about the monarchy in Great Britain is that it is not like most monarchies. It is not a monarchy where the king or queen has absolute power. It is what is known as a constitutional monarchy. Queen Elizabeth cannot make policy. She cannot pass laws. That is the responsibility of the parliament. However, she is indeed the symbol of what a Brit should be. She is also an example. She is to show stability, humility, gentility, all those kinds of character traits And she is deeply loved by the citizens of the United Kingdom. Her power is not incidental. It is indeed influential, which probably is the best kind of power that anyone can influence. But it is not, as I've already said, absolute. This morning we're going to look together at the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, God the Father shares his throne with Jesus, his son, and they are absolute monarchs. We do well to consider the nature and power of the kingdom of God, and we gain insight about both of those in this great epistle to the Romans, chapter 14. Last week, we looked at the entire chapter of Romans 14 and the first seven verses of Romans 7. Today, we're going to slow down. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 21 of chapter 14. Follow along as I read from the New American Standard Bible, beginning with verse 13 of chapter 14 of Romans. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. 
For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is in this way serves Christ and is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. Let's consider, first of all, the nature of God's kingdom. His kingdom is transcendent. Why do I say that? Well, Jesus said in the conversation that we just heard from John 18 with Pilate, the Roman authority who governed Jerusalem and the surrounding area, that his kingdom is not of this world. It's a, it's a kingdom that is altogether different from all the other kingdoms known in history. Churchmen have tried to make it a kingdom of this world. I'm talking about the kingdom of Christ of this world. I'll offer a couple of illustrations of this. On Christmas Day, 1800 A.D., a man by the name of Charles, he was the king of Austria, but he became the king and emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. When the Pope crowned him king and the people said, in honoring him, acknowledging his sovereignty, to Charles Augustus, crowned by God, the great and pacific emperor of the Romans, life and victory. That initiated what was known as the Holy Roman Empire, which dominated. And the Holy Roman Empire is a picture, if you study it carefully, of the worst of power politics and power religion being merged together. This kingdom is one which transcends all sorts of borders that are made by people. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, talks about in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. Let me stop there just a moment. It is true that from God's point of view, ethnicity is nothing because all people can trace their descendants back to the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. We're of all the same blood. And it's a beautiful thing which God has done in giving diversity in ethnicity. We know what the Bible teaches us about what will happen in heaven. There will be representatives from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. God is indiscriminate in those whom He chooses to be part of His kingdom. No one is excluded based on one's race or ethnicity. Also, we know that we who are in Christ are neither slave nor free, which speaks of social standing in our day 
and has from the time of the Roman Empire. There were many slaves in the Roman Empire, but the slaves were on equal standing before God. And it's true. God does not look at the outward appearance. He does not ask for our educational credentials or the standing we have in our community as far as others are concerned. God looks at the heart, whereas we tend to look at the outward appearance of people and judge them by who they are and what they've achieved academically and professionally and that sort of thing. This is in no way to say that it's wrong to do the best you can in your pursuit of education or in pursuing a career provided both of those things are designed to empower you to better serve the Lord. It is true, isn't it, that the kingdom of God is transcendent, transcendent as it relates to borders. You may remember, some of you will, what happened during the early years of the 1990s in Africa, East Africa, when Rwanda was torn apart by civil war. In a period of only 40 days, when that war, which was a civil war, reached its peak, anywhere from a half million to a million Rwandans were killed, mainly those who were of the Tutsi tribe in Sumatra, Hutus, and they were killed. As I was thinking about this, I wanted to know more about it. And what I discovered was most of them died in places of worship. And most of the people who were involved in the war, 90% of the people who made up that nation of Rwanda were professing Christians. And they killed each other because of insults which had been made years ago and over a power struggle between two tribes of the people of that region. That is something that is hard to imagine. We need to remember, as we think about our being people who are citizens of the kingdom of God, that our citizenship is in heaven primarily. This is what the Bible says in Philippians 3.20. We are citizens of the United States of America, most of us who are watching, and we are grateful for that, aren't we? that we live in this country. We have a great heritage in our country. But our primary allegiance is to the kingdom of God. And our heart should be that we love our brothers in Christ, our sisters in Christ, regardless of anything other than their being submitted to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The kingdom of God the Father and Jesus the Son is a transcendent kingdom because it's a permanent kingdom. Think about what the prophet Isaiah says regarding the coming Messiah. He says, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a Savior is given. The government will be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of His government there will be no end. It keeps on keeping on forever and ever. Once again, we return to the book of Revelation. 
and there's this scene of a throng that is so vast it cannot be numbered of people who are gathered there from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation, and they are honoring and glorifying the Lord. And the Bible says that that day will also reinforce the fact, and Revelation 11:15 tells us this, that the kingdom of God is the kingdom of the world and of His Christ, and it stands forever and forever. You and I, if we know Jesus, we are part of that kingdom. We are brothers and sisters. We are to walk side by side in allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. This should be the way in which we view ourselves because it is certainly true. In this kingdom, there is a war. And the war is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We know who the general of that army is, do we not? His name is Satan. And in the book of 2 Corinthians, as Paul speaks about the weaponry in this war, he says our weapons are not of the flesh. Some translations say not carnal but they are divinely empowered for the destruction of fortresses. This also reminds me of Psalm 20, verses 7 and 8. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They fall down, but we rise up. What does that idea of our rising up who are members of the kingdom of God suggest compared to those who trust in conventional methods of warfare. What does that suggest? To me, this is what it suggests. There's going to come a day of great humiliation for those who are opposed to the kingdom of God. But we who are humble, the quality that Christ desires more than anything else from you and me, and so we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that in due time we may be exalted. Humility is to be the trait that we bring to the table, recognizing that God is the only sovereign. We are simply His subjects. But it's wonderful to be His subject. I'm going to talk about that a little more later. This kingdom is not of this world. That's the nature of it. It's transcendent. It's also an internal kingdom. You will recall when Jesus was approached by some people in Luke 17, verse 21, they ask him, where is your kingdom? They were thinking of a worldly kingdom. And I I thought back again to John 18 in that conversation that Pilate, who was all about being in the kingdom, he got his sense of purpose, his sense of identity, his sense of worth because of the position which he held. He had a very important position in the greatest kingdom on earth at that time as far as those people understood what that meant. And that conversation, Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my servants would have tried to prevent your servants from arresting me. But my kingdom has a different purpose. And then Pilate interrupted Jesus and he said, so you are a king. And he said, It is so. I am a king. Pilate didn't get it. And people who are in the world don't get us in most cases because they are 
not in the kingdom yet. And we pray that more and more people will come into this kingdom, the internal kingdom. Its citizens prefer prefer others to themselves. That's what we learned last week as we were considering what our role is in disputable matters about drinking wine or about eating meat or about wearing masks. We looked at that and we see it reiterated here. We won't look at it this morning in more detail except to remember that I am tasked as a member of the kingdom of God to do whatever I can to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. If something which I do that is not a a thing that is a do-or-die thing, I need to lay it down for the sake of my brother, to love my brother. Love is what God wants for us. A fellow, fellow pastor of mine, his name is Marty Brown. Marty and I were seminary students together, and he told me this story one time about a dream. The dream was he was in heaven, and he noticed something that was very odd. He noticed that everybody in heaven had arms they could not bend. They were just stiff arms. And then he was given a glimpse of hell, and he noticed in hell people were the very same way. Their arms were stiff. They could not bend like normal arms bent. And in hell, people were trying to feed themselves. There was food there, but they couldn't feed themselves because they couldn't bend their arms to get the fork and the food and back into their mouths. But then when he was taken back to heaven, to the view of heaven, what he saw there was that the people in heaven were still in the same state, but they were feeding each other. It's a picture of what it's to be in the kingdom of God. We live in a cooperative kingdom. We want others to succeed more than we want ourselves to succeed. That should be part of who we are. This internal kingdom is a kingdom, as we saw last week, that thinks more highly of others than it thinks of its own rights. But in this section of Scripture, if you look again in Romans 14, verse 17, notice what the Scripture says. It says, The kingdom of God is not eating or drinking. That would be, don't make a big deal over what you eat or what you drink. Don't fight for your rights to eat or drink whatever you want to drink. You can, you're free, but submit yourselves to one another Out of the fear of Christ is what the Word of God says in Ephesians chapter 5. But the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness. That's a word that seems sort of sterile to most of us. It's a word that's a little off-putting when we think about it. We don't want to be considered to be so righteous that nobody wants to have anything to do with us. But we grossly misunderstand the concept of righteousness. Righteousness is being in a right relationship to God. We need the righteousness that only God can give because there is no righteousness in us. In the book of Job, the ninth chapter, the second verse, this is what Job says. Can a man be right with God? 
he had that puzzle in his own mind. And remember, earlier than that, God had said about this man, Job, that he was the most righteous person on, on earth. He didn't have that sense of who he was, but God sees us, as we've said already today, in ways that other people do not see us. This righteousness has two aspects that are spoken of here. The first and most important, I might add, is what be, could be described as positional righteousness. We who know God know Him only because we are in Christ. That's a phrase or variations of that phrase are used all over the Bible to describe who we are. We are in Christ. There is none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. There is none who seeks God. There is no one who understands. There is no one who does good. But God had a plan. His plan was that Christ, who was perfectly righteous, He is the righteous one, and He would take our place and pay for the penalty of our sins, He being the only one who could do that for us because of His perfection in humanity. Of course, His deity was every bit a part of that as well. Christ is our righteousness and indwells us, and He gives us the power to become righteous too. The Lord wants us to be righteous. He wants us to seek first His kingdom. Get it? Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. We are to be about seeking His righteousness. The only way we can find His righteousness is in Christ and by the power of Jesus Christ. We can't live a righteous life if we depend upon ourselves. This passage talks about the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy. People in the world are looking for joy and peace. I mean, they're working hard for it. If you look at advertising, for instance, on TV, online, advertisements are always designed to make a promise to those who view them or hear them or both make a promise that if you'll just have this or you just have her or you just have him or you just have it, then you're going to be fulfilled. But the beat goes on, doesn't it? It's the same beat that began in the Garden of Eden, a self-centered beat, a desire to have and not to depend on God for anything. That's what's called sin. People pursue peace and joy without righteousness and they will never find it. If you happen to be listening this morning and you find emptiness in your heart, you find futility in your attempts to fulfill your life, there's only one way to do that. That's to surrender your life to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Then you will be placed in Christ. And from God's point of view, he looks at us in Christ. This is amazing. When he sees us, he sees us as if we were Christ. He knows better, but he sees us in the perfection of Jesus Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. Practically, we are in the interim period between the time we receive Christ and the time that we leave this life in that interim period, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, 
And Jesus is our righteousness according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. What about this idea of peace? Well, the word peace is used with a couple of qualifying phrases in the New Testament. There's peace with God that's mentioned and the peace of God. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says this, Therefore, having been justified by grace, that means been made righteousness by the gift of God, therefore, having been justified with grace, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does one find this place of peace that passes all understanding? Well, it's through the grace of God and being made right with God. We have peace with God. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you shall find rest for your souls. It is true, isn't it? When you trusted Christ, you found rest in your soul. Where there was restlessness, there was peace, the peace with God. It's also peace with oneself. Peace also with others. Look at verse 19 of our passage of Scripture. Romans 14:19 says, So then let us pursue the things which make for peace in the building up of one another. This is what's characteristic of us when we come to know the Lord and we're growing in Christ. We knock ourselves out to be at peace with other people because Christ in us wants us to have such a relationship. Nothing is preferred by God any more out of us collectively than we love each other. Jesus prays about this in the great high priestly prayer in John 17 where he talks about the unity of believers is that upon which the salvation of the world hinges. If we are not unified in real love, if we're not willing to submit to one another, then the world will not want to hear our message. So we need to be people who are different in this way, in the way in which we have peace with each other. And this peace is definitely from the Lord. We know that. And it's the peace of God too. It's an internal kingdom, as we said. And when Christ is submitted to us, what happens is this, that the Lord gives us a peace that passes all understanding. We're not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we're to present ourselves to God. And we are to trust God as we praise Him and worship Him. And He will answer our prayers, and He will give us His peace as we praise Him and thank Him for the situation in which we find ourselves. This peace... Allow me an illustration. Imagine that you are in a soundproof booth. Our musicians, some of them, in order to be focused, wear headphones, and the headphones help them not to be distracted by other noises around so they can really play the music as it's meant to be played. When we know Jesus Christ and He lives in us, it's as if... We are in a soundproof booth with the Lord Jesus Christ. We can tune other things out, 
in order to have that kind of fellowship with him and draw close to him. We have a complete soundproof sanctuary in our hearts. And that sanctuary, that soundproof booth, becomes our trysting place, our secret place of meeting with the Lord. And he wants that relationship with us. Jesus describes himself this way in John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door, and everyone who enters through that door shall be saved. Those people individually will go in and out, go in and come out and find pasture. I think that's an illustration. When we know the Lord, we go in after having fed, and we're with the Lord. We have that intimacy, and we go out into the world. We go in, we go out. The world is opposed to us. There's nothing like being together to worship. I'm looking forward to the reunion we're going to have in a couple of weeks here when we gather again to worship the Lord publicly. But what I do know is, meanwhile, nothing can interrupt me from worshiping the Lord one-to-one. Nothing. That's a call that I make, in effect, because He's there waiting at the door. And He is the door to that kind of relationship. And in that relationship we have incredible peace. Peace with God as well as the peace of God. Look at the last characteristic. The kingdom of God is what? It is righteousness, being right with God, and right in our relationships. Secondly, it's peace with God, peace with others, and then it's joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, In John 15, I wish we had time to study everything that goes before that verse 11 that I'm going to quote. John 15, 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Which begs the question, what things? The gist of those things is found in John 15, 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. It's an abiding, dependent relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that brings joy. And remember, how does Lord Jesus Christ live in my life? Depending upon him, yes, but obviously he does not fit his body down inside of this body that I inhabit, His Spirit does. The Spirit of Christ is in us, and as we trust the Spirit of Christ, the result is magnificent because we will have joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength, is what Nehemiah says. And this joy is something that is the result of our seeking the Lord and His strength continually, according to 1 Corinthians, Chronicles, rather, 1611, and we seek his face when we're in intimacy with him as a branch is with a vine, what is the result? It's joy unspeakable and full of grace. Martin Lloyd-Jones writes this. He says, a joyless Christian is a contradiction in terms. If we are not joyful, it's an indication of one of two things. Either we don't know the Lord Or if we know the Lord, we have deviated from having intimacy with the Lord and depending upon Him. 
We're a step or two away. The step back is to repent of our sin, of neglecting our time with the Lord, and then reconnecting with Him. God never created anyone to be miserable. It's for sure. C.S. Lewis says about joy, it's a serious business of heaven. Jesus, in teaching us how to pray, what did He say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to be men and women who desire the kingdom of God to come. And it will come in us first, and then it will work its way through us to other people as we do the will of God. And there will be great joy in doing the will of God. There's nothing quite like being in the mainstream of God's will. If you're doing what God wants you to do, it's not mysterious, it's in the Bible. If you're following the Lord, you have this joy. Delight in life that runs deeper than pain or pleasure. Either of the extremes is real joy. Real joy is not tied to either positive or negative circumstances in our lives. It's linked to none other than Jesus Christ and, of course, the Holy Spirit. What does the Scripture say? The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Allow me a moment to speak about the Holy Spirit. He is not apt to speak about Himself. His focus is on the person of Christ. But what we do know about the Holy Spirit, among other things, is told us in the books of Ephesians and 2 Corinthians. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we read about what is called the seal of the Spirit and also about a down payment that is made that gives us the assurance that we are children of God. And that is in the Holy Spirit. He is that down payment. The word that's used is the word Arabon in the original language. It was used, for instance, to describe an engagement ring that a man gave to his intended wife. What happens when a man gives a woman an engagement ring? It's his promise that he loves her and he's going to marry her. God has given us the Holy Spirit to emphasize that he cares for us. He's not going to do away with us. Remember what Jesus says, all that come to me, I will never drive away. He would never cast you away. Let's talk about the sources of joy. The sources of joy, I'm going to mention three things. First of all, it's accepting yourself as God accepts you. I've already touched on this when I talked about our place in Christ, but I want to take it a step further. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 that God predestined us before the foundation of the world to be adopted in Christ and it required the redeeming work of Christ on our behalf. Christ died for us to purchase a place for us in the kingdom of God. And now, amazingly, when the Lord looks at you and He looks at me, we are accepted in His most beloved that's what the Bible says. Not based on anything you will do. You didn't have anything to do with it to begin with. You cannot undo what he has done. 
We are accepted in the person of Jesus Christ. Mark Twain, the literary giant of the 19th and 20th centuries early, he made this statement. He said, deep down in a man's heart, no man much likes himself. And that's true, isn't it? We just don't like ourselves. What the Lord does, he turns that around. We're able to accept who we are in Christ, not to be boastful because if there's any good thing in me, Paul says, who is the author of that? He is. The Lord himself is. So it's not a point of boasting, but it's a point of believing what God says about you and me. We are accepted in the Beloved. He has loved us with an everlasting love is what Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 31, 3. And Paul writes about how Christ loved him, showed it by dying on the cross for him. Paul was able to go forward because of his acceptance in Christ, and you and I are too. Also, the source of this joy is accepting your situation, whatever it may be, as being good. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. His purpose is that we glorify God, but that means no matter, matter whether I'm having a good day from the world's viewpoint or even my own viewpoint, as far as the circumstances are concerned, I'm having a crummy day from my viewpoint, then in either case, God ordained it. That's what the Scripture says. I've mentioned just one verse, Romans 8, 28, but there is so much verification of that truth over and over and over in the writings of the writers of Scripture, both Old and New Testament writers. And that takes some pressure off also. It has for me at least to know that the Lord loves me even though sometimes I don't feel it. I'm doing what I think I'm supposed to do and I'm thinking, Lord, I'm doing right. Now bless me. And he doesn't say anything because he's already blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is no limit to the blessings which are mine as a child of God in Christ. Unbelievable. And then we need to also accept our assignment in the kingdom. We're to be men and women who find great joy in bearing fruit, in depending on Christ and bearing fruit, looking for people around us whom we can love, believer and unbeliever alike. We're not to limit our love to those who call Christ their Lord. We're to want to help those people get introduced to Jesus through us. Remembering real witnessing about Christ is our sharing Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and letting the results be up to God. It's God's work through us. If you've had the opportunity to introduce others to Christ, you know there's nothing like it really. My own way of describing what that's like I remember the first person that the Lord ever allowed me to introduce to him. His name's Gary Pittman. I was on the top of a roof at Frontier Ranch, Young Life Ranch in Colorado. It was 1971. And I had been cultivating a relationship with Gary for a long time. I was nervous as a cat. I didn't know how to ask him 
do you want to receive Christ? You know, I was so green in that area and so dependent on the Lord, which was the key factor, by the way. And when I spoke to him, he says, I've been wanting to know how to do that for a long time. The Lord had prepared him. And the Lord's prepared people in your sphere to lead to him. And it was like I was born again a second time when I saw him get born again. And that scene has been repeated over and over again over the last almost 50 years now. Is the Lord has allowed me to know him. He's allowed me to grow in him. And he's allowed me to be in one-to-one relationships sharing him with other people. Let me just say this. This, what I'm doing today, is important, I think. I believe it is. Teaching the body of Christ. But it doesn't hold a candle to -to one-to-one sharing of Christ. You might say, I could never stand up in front of more than a few people and maybe even two people and talk. Well, you don't have to worry about that. Just deal with people one-to-one. All of us have that capacity. And therein comes a source of joy, unspeakable, full of grace and glory. Praise God for that. Well, I want to close with one verse from the book of Isaiah 48, verse 18. This is what the prophet writes. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Let me pick that apart just a little bit. The condition of my peace being like a river. We talked about peace. And my righteousness like the waves of the sea. What is the condition? If I only pay attention to the commands of the Lord. Do you know in the book of 1 John, the third chapter, the writer condenses all those commands down to two simple commands? Are you listening? The first of which is this, that I believe in the name of of the Son of God. That means I trust Him and I recognize Him as Lord. He is the King. His kingdom is transcendent. His kingdom is all-inclusive of those who trust Him. His kingdom was bought by His precious blood so that I could be saved. I have to believe that He did that for me and trust Him for it. That's the first command. The second one is that I love the brothers in Christ. Two commands. Only pay attention to those. Am I yielding to Christ as my Lord? Have you today, have you set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, as the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15? That is, to humble yourself before the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you, give you what He promises, an abundant life, Not meaning that which is material, but remember his kingdom is an internal kingdom. He will change you inside. He'll give you peace with him, peace that passes all understanding, joy unspeakable, and he will give you his righteousness. We'll have his righteousness too. We want to be right with God, and we have it as we trust in him alone for eternal life. Queen Elizabeth ascended the throne of Great Britain in February of 1952. Wow, that's a long time. Almost 70 years. That's hard to believe. But she's not going to sit on that throne forever. She could abdicate it 
for her son Charles, or she's going to die someday. And somebody else will sit on that throne one way or the other. But when we know Jesus, we know He who is enthroned on the praises of His people, and He is there, and He's going to be there forever. We want to be part of that, do we not? Yes, we do. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we do now ask, Lord, that you do a mighty work in our hearts. Oh, God, in my heart. Could you just say that to the Lord? Oh, Lord God, in my heart, may you reign and rule so that you will be honored by my life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.